Hello and welcome to Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee with me, Eason. And me, Bex. And this is the return of our Twin Peaks podcast after a year-long hiatus as we've been discussing The Prisoner on the Tally Ho. And we're delighted to be back talking about uh, Twin Peaks. This is the start of a new series of episodes for us, which will be reflecting on not just the return, but the original series as well. And it's a chance for us to, I think, talk about not really the plot points and theories that exist around the series. There are wonderful podcasts and websites and resources out there that have have covered that and expanded on that so much in the last 18 months. But it's really a chance to talk about some of the themes and ideas that have resonated with us about the show, the things that have stayed with us long afterwards, and I think are the elements of the show that have provided just as much lively conversation around the dinner table <laughs> as the narrative elements of the show. Yeah, I've I've genuinely lost count of the number of times we've rewatched The Return in the uh, year and a half since those heady days of summer 2017 when it was uh, occupying a good 80% of our headspace mm-hmm. for, for many, many months. And what I found is that every time we rewatched it, certain ideas kept bubbling up and you know percolating and brewing into a damn fine coffee of an idea in the end we hope anyway Mm. um so we've got lots of different themes that we're planning to explore in the coming months um we're planning to do an 18 episode run Mm. now each episode is going to be on a different theme and what we've done is use the titles of the episodes of the return as a jumping off point to look at a particular theme of the show. And I know that the um, original series has episode titles as well. I know people like them, don't like them. I've never really paid much attention to them at all. And as time has gone on, just as Twin Peaks The Return has morphed into Twin Peaks Season 3, and uh, these episode titles that, that seemingly were wonderful little teasers of of what was to come in the episode and and I think in all cases reflected a specific line of dialogue from that specific episode in the return I think we've simply used them as a as a chance to think about a different theme within the world of Twin Peaks and as always I think we won't be necessarily sticking that closely to what that line ha- um, has in terms of resonance within the show itself. It, it might be more of a jumping off point for something that we uh, want to talk about, something that hopefully you'll be interested in listening to and uh, allows us room for lots and lots of wonderful tangents over the next <laughs> uh, few episodes of Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee. Did somebody say tangents? <laughs> <laughs> My log has a message for you. So this being episode one of this new season of Time of Cherry Pie and Coffee, uh, we're going back to the beginning of The Return with My Log Has a Message for You. This episode is going to be on the general theme of trees and forests and 
tulpas and doppelgangers within not just the return but the series as a whole and for us what they've come to represent within the world of Twin Peaks. Yes we're kicking off with uh, a pretty far out tangent just by taking the word log and uh, and talking about trees. (laughs) Well logs come from trees (laughs) it kind of works. (laughs) So I'm just going to jump in with the central idea which is what this whole uh, concept for this episode grew out of which is the idea that a telegraph pole is a tulpa of a tree or if you will an evil doppelganger Hmm. of a tree Uh, to explain what i'm on about essentially within the world of twin peaks it's it's to a great extent built on the idea of doubles doppelgangers tulpas um, that which is artificial and constructed versus that which is almost sort of natural and organic. And if you consider a telegraph pole, in many ways it looks like a tree. It's made of wood, it stands up out of the ground, it's really tall, it's got branches coming off it, but it's actually made from a dead tree, literally from a dead tree that you you kill a tree, you cut it down, you shape it into an unnatural shape and you stand it back up again, uh, almost as if it was when it was alive. But instead of living branches, it's now got electric wires coming off it and it no longer has any living roots into the ground. But birds still sit on them. They still dot the landscape as if they were trees. And it's a recurring motif that turns up in Twin Peaks again and again, particularly the number six pole, which we're going to get onto, is that you see these telegraph poles and the humming from the wires, and you see trees and forests again and again and again and again. So a telegraph pole is something that does not occur in nature. Um, it takes human beings to come along and mess with a tree to make the telegraph pole. It is manufactured. Someone manufactured you. Yeah, and to follow that, I think the telegraph pole also symbolises, you know, these two very heavy recurring themes, not just within Twin Peaks, but also um, a common recurring element in Lynch's work, which is, you know, the mysteries of the woods Mm. and also his fascination and and potentially his kind of fear of, uh, of electricity as well. You know, this invisible this invisible force which is kind of all around you and is going through wires it's kind of in the air it's it's everywhere and that fear that it also is that you know it is the spark of life and it is something which itself is you know is is kind of between two worlds it's something otherworldly but it's intrinsic to life itself yes and unlike a tree a telegraph pole isn't really alive even though it has energy passing through it Mm. it literally has energy passing through it Whereas a tree is, is alive, but just has a different type of energy. Mm. But, it, but it's all still energy in one way or another. Mm. So if you look at the opening credits, first with the original series, the first shot you have in the opening credits is of a bird sitting on the branches of a living tree. And immediately after that, the second shot is of the sawmill. They're quite literally taking the de- dead trees and manufacturing them into something else. And then in the return, the opening shots, you've got the picture of 
Laura. And then that glorious long drone shot over the woods with thousands upon thousands of trees. And then down the waterfall and down into the artificial sort of some kind of constructed space of the Red Room where there is nothing living or natural in there at all. So it, it feels to me like that has that idea of trees and dead trees has been there right from the very beginning. And of course, by the end of every episode, it ends with the with the buzz of the of the Lynch Frost logo, mm. you know, which is all electricity and wires. And, and obviously, in the final episode, it kind of burns out. Yes, yeah, the electricity gets switched off <laughs> to uh, who who knows? Maybe the entire universe. <laughs> That's for another episode. <laughs> So I suppose one of the most obvious ways in which these two ideas come together is in the evolution of the arm, which is almost some kind of weird hybrid of a tree and a telegraph pole, in that it, it resembles a tree in many ways. It resembles a dead sycamore tree, and yet it crackles with electricity in its branches as if they were conduits of energy. And also the evolution of the arm knows things that other people don't know. It seems to know what's happened to Audrey in that weird comment that it makes about the little girl who lived down the lane. And it it gives all these cryptic messages, like, you know, 253 time and time mm. again. It it knows stuff. And that's the other thing that telegraph poles do, is that they transmit information from one place to another. So for a flash of a moment... That information is there and then it's gone. But the evolution of the arm seems to know some of this information as, as if knowledge is passing through it in some way. Yeah, and the trees do appear to be uh, witness to many of these strange events in Twin Peaks. Yes, there are mysteries in the woods, but at the same time, there are so many things which you can imagine the woods knowing as a result of being present at some of the most important moments in the mythology of the show as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I really love the idea that in Twin Peaks, the woods are considered sort of a you know, very spiritual place, also a very otherworldly place. And yet I also think that if you go to the Red Room and uh, the world of the Black Lodge, I suppose, when you see the evolution of the arm, you're, you are really seeing an alternate Lodge version of not just the characters who have gone into the Red Room, but it's notable that, you know, you see a version of an electrified tree as well, because that has obvious corollaries with what we see in the real world, you know, which is obviously just through the red curtains in the woods. And one of the things The Return seems to do is have the almost the reach of the Black Lodge and possibly the White Lodge as well, extending further out into the world than we saw in the original series and in Fire Walk With Me. And you see this through um, some of the stuff that happens in Vegas. Um, you know, Dougie Coop having visions of 
the Red Room in the casino and seeing Mike, but also that moment where he sees a miniature version of the evolution of the mm. arm when Ike's attacking him. You go, squeeze his hand off, squeeze his hand off. Um, but nobody else could see it, we assume. Mm. Only Cooper could see it because he has some kind of connection to the lodge. And, and the other way I think that the influence of the lodge is shown as spreading out is through the number six telegraph pole. So you see it in Fire Walk With Me in Oregon at the Fat Trout trailer park. But then the exact same telegraph pole seems to also exist in Twin Peaks in The Return, mm. where it's near Sparkwood and 21. Mm. But it's also there when Carl Rod is nearby, mm. which is a connection between the two. But also Carl Rod appears to have some kind of connection to the I don't want to say to the lodge in some way, but he's able to see the spirit of that boy that mm. flies up into the sky. He can see things that other people don't see, whether that's because of some past experience. But there's some stuff in uh, Secret History, mm. isn't there, about that? Or whether it's an implication that he is just able to see these things. And it, it's almost as if drawing the audience's attention to it is drawing our attention to the fact that there is a connection there. But also then, of course, we see it again in uh, the visions that the fireman gives to Andy. Mm. And then finally we see it in Odessa, <laughs> in the other plane of existence or whatever we want to call that, where it's right outside Carrie Laura's house. And it's the exact same telegraph pole again. So I think that's a, a emblematic of spaces into which the power of the Black Lodge has started to creep into the world, but not everyone can see it. People who seem to have some kind of connection to the lodges can see it, but then also we, the audience, can see it, which draws us into that sphere in a rather sinister way. I mean, uh, going back to that point about the uh, appearance of the evolution of the arm, to Dougie, where he has that moment of being uh, Dale Cooper again as he disarms like the spike. What I wonder about now is whether, you know, a, the evolution of the arm is a seemingly the good side of some force in the waiting room, in the red room. And yet when it appears in the real world, it appears as itself. So, it, it, you know, it appears on the pavement in its, in, you know, a shrunken down version of, of the form it, it, it was seen um as previously in the show but i do wonder if the number six telegraph pole actually is a is essentially the real world appearance of the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm <laughs> which can't appear maybe in the real world i mean maybe it, you know maybe that's how it disguises itself in the real world is that that's what the corollary of that is because it's because it, interestingly that that number six telegraph pole it's at the site of all these important events, often mm. negative events, often lodge influenced events. And uh, I think, it, you know, it's very telling that it's that it, it, it's near the end of, uh, of part two when the doppelganger appears of the evolution of the arm. And maybe that's how the doppelganger is something that takes shape in the real world. You know, it appears as that telegraph pole looking over all these events and often, as I said, the negative ones. I think it's, presence in Odessa is one of the indications 
well for me anyway that Odessa is not the real world mm. I know we're going to get into this in a future episode mm. in, in a lot more detail but I don't think it can be real versus everything else being artificial if the pole is present in all of these different spaces mm. because it, it suggests an influence of something unreal um, you know it, if it itself is like is like you say a, a doppelganger or a or a tulpa of something that's not reality as in our reality in which we are sitting here right now so one of the other characters who is directly involved in one of these incidents that happens at the site of one of the telegraph poles is Richard Horn, who is responsible for the death of the boy at that crossing. And I think it's in the, the episode that follows, you see him take the truck that he was driving out into a rural area and he stops to check to see if there's any blood on it and he tries to clean it off. And there's this really telling shot when he pulls up. It's, it's in a, a sort of a green space with trees around it, and there's another car or truck there next to it. And he he pulls up next to it, and you see a shot through the windscreen of him sitting in the truck, and reflected in the windscreen is a telegraph pole. It sort of looms large over the whole sort of left-hand side of the, the windscreen, really clear reflection. And yet, when he gets out of the truck, there are no telegraph poles there. Mm. You see several shots showing that it is just trees. There is nothing else there. So where is that reflection coming from? And who is that reflection for? Is this the audience seeing what he is seeing out of the window is he looking out of the window and instead of seeing trees he's seeing telegraph poles or is it a telegraph pole which like the number six pole isn't really there in in a, a normal sense but it appears there because of something horrible that's going on there's you know it could literally just be foreshadowing what's going to happen to him because he's going to end up becoming disintegrated into a shower of electricity mm -hmm. in a few more episodes time but it's it's so um specifically placed there and i assume that they must have put that on it using an effect afterwards because you wouldn't have otherwise you couldn't have shot that reflection in the space where they film that scene mm. so if a telegraph pole is a a, a tulpa of a tree or the doppelganger of the evolution of the arm entering into the world above, then are we seeing it there because that's what Richard is seeing, because he is connected to the lodges. Effectively, he is not something that occurs in nature. He himself is unnatural. He should not exist. Being the son of Mr. C, because Mr. C should not exist out in the world. Certainly in isolation, he's he's half of Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Is is he seeing an unnatural version of the world around him because he himself is unnatural? 
Listen, I need all available backup at 2240 Sycamore. 2240 Sycamore. The other thing that crops up time and time again in The Return is places being called Sycamore. Hmm. So there's a street in Vegas hmm. called Sycamore Street. Uh, also, there's one in South Dakota because uh, when they uh, call for help after Bill Hastings gets his head caved in by a woodsman, hmm. they call the police out to uh, Sycamore. Hmm. And of course, the sycamore trees are the trees that surround the pool that appears to be the entrance to the Black Lodge. Just the name of the tree, again, seems to be some kind of creeping influence of the Black Lodge out into the world as we know it. And maybe the White Lodge too, because there are trees also surrounding the entrance to the White Lodge. In fact, you get this re recurring motif of the circle of trees, which is visually reminiscent of the ring, maybe, mm. uh, but also seems to connect to all of these weird Arthurian references, which are peppered throughout the original series and The Return as well, with Glastonbury Grove and Merlin Market and Lancelot Court, because the circle is also the emblem of, uh, of Camelot, as in the uh, round table. Mm. And of course, the evolution of the arm is a essentially a sycamore tree as well mm. and you, i'm pretty certain isn't isn't it the very beginning in that scene in the boiler room where bob is in the pilot episode or it might be the international version of the pilot isn't there that that circle of, of candles which mm. have been laid out where he says his, his poem and things like that i mean yeah you know, obviously there you know there's some obvious symbolism associated with circles as as openings not just physical ones where they're marking the openings to the lodgers but potentially sort of opening to another world as well but it is a you know it is a recurring theme and obviously it's not actually too much of a stretch to you know you know your point about about the ring itself you know the jade ring uh, the owl cave ring because arguably that does serve a, as a means to to move between worlds as well mm. The circle is almost complete, as mm. the log lady says, mm. uh, which again could be a reference to you know, the round table. But also, if you cut a tree down, that's what you find. <laughs> rings within rings within rings mm. um, that tell you the story of that tree's life and how long it's lived and what the air was like while it lived. And all of that information is locked up inside of a tree while it's alive. There's a sort of evil out there. Something very, very strange in these old woods. I call it what you want, uh, a darkness, a presence. It takes many forms, but it's been out there for as long as anyone can remember. Yeah, so the idea of forests as places where there are portals to other worlds or magic going on is something really old. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's embedded in fairy tales where people get into danger after straying off into the forest. Forests have a, a an odd place in our culture because they're both a place of danger in which people are, are warned about, a place that's considered, you know, it's, it's wild, it's not been civilised, therefore it's dangerous. But also 
they can equally be shown as a place of sanctuary. And I think you get both of these from Twin Peaks as well. So for all the characters who have effectively become lost in the woods, I mean, you could say that Laura essentially gets lost in the woods. It's the place where she goes to after leaving James in, uh, in Firewalk With Me. Leo, I mean, what happens to Leo could be straight out of a Brothers Grimm fairy tale. You know, he, he runs off into the woods. He gets snatched by uh, an evil wizard who's living in a cabin <laughs> and ultimately abandoned with spiders. I mean, it's it's horrible, but it's it's properly grim in mm. both senses of the term. And deeply mysterious things happen in the woods. You've got the abduction of uh, Mage Briggs in the original series. In The Secret History, there's lots of uh, references to abductions and encounters that have happened mm. within the woods. And in the return, Jerry gets lost and appears to lose his mind in the woods and indeed lose his foot at some point. And his clothes by the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has essentially become wild within mm. within the woods. But also you've got that scene with uh, Stephen and Gersten towards the very end where it seems to be left hanging as to what's actually occurred between them and Becky. But there's that astonishing shot that sets up that whole scene where you see the woods and these vast, enormous, tall trees. And then there's Stephen and Gersten who are huddled at the base of just one of these trees looking absolutely minuscule in comparison. And it's like they have become overwhelmed by the world. They've become overwhelmed by the forest and they're completely lost and... We can assume that Stephen ends up taking his own life. That's what mm. appears to happen anyway. Which is what brings me round in a circle <laughs> to uh, to where I was before, which was to uh, the Divine Comedy. I've, I've been reading this again lately for other purposes. But that begins when the version of Dante who exists within the poem gets lost in a wood. And it's meant to be symbolic of someone losing their way in life and of course there there are direct references to Dante within the return because you've got Dr Amp hmm. uh, referencing the ninth circle of hell for traitors uh, but but Dr Amp is an example of someone who appears to have taken sanctuary in the woods where he's he's left what he sees to be a corrupt you know air quote civilized society and has gone off into the woods to seemingly live off-grid in order to be freer and it seems to be working for him and that's more in the vein of a, a sort of Robin Hood outlaw rebel type figure who goes into a wild place because the civilised world is too corrupt and the only way to escape it is to go somewhere that civilization has not yet fucked up basically so you, you've got these two different ideas of what the woods can be they can be a sanctuary or they can be a dangerous place filled with magic and things that we can't truly understand and i suppose that you know that's also a reason why the log lady lives there in her cabin mm. i mean it's it's 
he's one of those characters who, who obviously has a connection to the woods you know not only through her life growing up in Twin Peaks her experiences which are elaborated on extensively in the secret history of Twin Peaks but the story about her husband who was the woodsman how he died in the fire the log that she carries the messages that she gets from the log again an idea of of information that can be transmitted through a piece of wood but it's also the place where um, I believe from you know from where she's at home she hears or has a sense of what happens to Laura the night she dies mm. you know so she has this place where she has like Dr Amp in a way um, decided to retreat from from everything else but I think Whereas Jacoby was a character in the original run who was part of the main town of Twin Peaks and then retreated into the woods as Dr. Amp uh, in season three, the log lady has always been there. And it's that connection which is what I think intuitively is something that, that Dale Cooper goes towards. So even the first thing he says when he enters Twin Peaks is to do with the trees that he's noticing. Mm. And it's almost like intuitively he has an awareness of the power of the woods before he even understands how relevant they are in the mythology of Twin Peaks itself. He has a connection to, you know, to them and I think it's therefore not a surprise that he has a deep connection with the log lady and indeed in the return when there is you know largely two-thirds of the series that doesn't feature dale cooper as, as we remember him the connection to that world exists through the through those who are attached most closely to the woods it's characters like the log lady who is having conversations with hawk and bringing up the woods and bringing up Cooper and making that connection and reaffirming that idea throughout those episodes when we're following Dougie as well. So I think she's a really interesting character in terms of how we look at the influence of the lodge and how it's spreading into the real world and how it's maybe altering the the reality around it. But also, is it possible that to some, the woods do retain that function of being a sanctuary. Um, they are places where you can hide from the lodge and yet you can monitor it just as much as it monitors you. There are many stories in Twin Peaks. Some of them are sad, some funny. Some are stories of madness, of violence. Some are ordinary, yet they all have about them a sense of mystery. The mystery of life sometimes the mystery of death the mystery of the woods the woods surrounding twin peaks and of course you've also got the journey that bobby and the gang make up to jack rabbit's palace which is a, a place in the woods that is essentially a sanctuary for him but it's a sanctuary because he has wonderful memories there of being there with his dad it's a place where he used to tell him stories and that links back to the way that woods are used in you know storytelling and fairy tales and myths and you can imagine that garland as a person 
would have wanted it to be a positive place that even if they were nearby places of great danger because I, I think he says that he told them not to so stray too far from it and they couldn't go up to the listening station and, and all these things it can still be a happy place and a place of sanctuary if that's what you make of it through the world that you create with the stories that you tell you know you create those memories which are effectively a space and time within your own existence that you can return to by going back there so you get that the beautiful shot of the um, tree stump that looks a bit like a throne and I think up, up in those woods is the happiest that we ever see Bobby being in any part of the show at all where it, it seems to be a memory sanctuary if you like Yeah, and it's notable that that's where if you go back to season 2 that's where Garland wanted to take Cooper mm. You know, and you can kind of look back at you know at that event as as something very symbolic, as you know a place that Briggs knew was very important to him. However, we view his uh, his sort of metaphysical role in uh, you know in season three and his his omniscience over the events which transpire. It's interesting that he would introduce the idea of the woods to Cooper. And maybe he knew that he would get abducted. I mean, he, you know, he, you know, when he returns and he says, "How long have I been gone?" You know, it's clearly not the first time this has happened. Has it always happened in the woods? You know, is it was this part of Briggs, you know, doing that kind of test where he's trying to work out if what's kind of described in the secret history is as uh, him trying to work out who who the new control is going to be, and he believes that it's uh, it's Cooper. You know, so maybe he's after the mystery, uh, supposedly of of Bob is put to rest for a short time after uh, Leland's death. You think maybe Garland knows that this is part of a much bigger picture story, and it's something where he he knows that Cooper's journey isn't over, even though in the episodes that immediately follow. Uh, the resolution of you know who killed Laura Palmer, Cooper wants to leave. You know he wants to go. His job is done. No one's really sure. You know what else is there for him to do? And what? And the first thing that happens is he goes on that fishing trip with Briggs, and that's what opens up potentially the mythology far wider than we could ever thought, because it has a resonance through the following twenty-five years of of Twin Peaks mythology, from Cooper driving into Twin Peaks. And noticing that you know the wonderful Douglas firs, and then entering the lodge through that portal of sycamore trees in the woods, and ultimately emerging, and maybe not even for the first time, and going on potentially an extension of his journey rather than the conclusion that maybe, as viewers we thought might have been the end point of Cooper's journey. I think that's what's most jarring about it, you know. Is it the first time he's emerged into the woods again? Is that part of the confusion of the woods themselves? And that timelessness that we think about with the woods and the memories they hold and the things they've seen, the information they retain within them. And yet, do they also serve a role not as um, a means to store that information and understanding of reality, but are they able to bend it themselves? And as they are 
you know, cut down and reformed into uh, these tulpa versions as electricity poles? Are we simply seeing the dissemination of the woods into the wider world, just as we think about the Black Lodge disseminating its influence over the real world in the other direction? And of course, when Cooper goes back in time, seemingly, to try and save Laura, it's in the woods that he meets her. Mm. Now, theoretically, surely he could have met her anywhere. Mm. It, it's not entirely clear whether he intended that to be the place or whether that's where Philip Jeffrey seems to have sent him because he's he says it's slippery in here and he's he seems to be in some way in control of where he sends Cooper back mm. to. But it's in the woods that he ends up and it's through the woods that he attempts to lead Laura to safety where they never actually make it. Um, and there's that wonderful, uh, sort of almost Orpheus-looking shot where he's he's taking her by the hand and he looks back and she's gone she's disappeared and it, it makes that the woods as this otherworldly realm feel mythical in that way that this is a space in which the the lines between worlds have become blurred where the woods themselves have this dual identity of a place that can be both a place of safety and a place of danger you know, a place where you can access the Black Lodge, but also a place where you can access the White Lodge. A place where, you know, there can be horror, but also there can be really happy, lovely, fuzzy memories <laughs> of your childhood. And it's it's as if the the woods themselves have this dual nature to them, where they are their own shadow self, if you like. Yes, that whole idea is obviously something that, that resonates through through the world of Twin Peaks. I mean, you know, season three ostensibly is about the split in Cooper that has taken place at the end of season two. And we have Mr. C and we have Dale, or the good half of Dale, or a half of Dale in some way, uh, re-emerging in the real world through his assimilation of Dougie's identity, Dougie himself being a tulpa. You know, it just sometimes makes me wonder, I mean, this whole idea that that series three is about the continued test of Cooper having needed to face his shadow self, you know, as described by Hawk in, in the closing episodes of season two. I mean, I remember in the run up to uh, season three, there's that there's that quote from Lynch, which is, you know, keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. And I wonder if a series which is so much about Cooper and the split that's taken place in Cooper and, and these two versions of Cooper's. I mean, it's it's explicitly said by by Hawk when he looks at the note that leads them to Jack Rabbit's palace, you know, this Cooper, Cooper note and two Coopers and again and again, they keep talking about this as a good Cooper and a bad Cooper. You know, I think it's interesting to wonder whether this world that we're looking at in 2016, 2017, are there other changes that have taken place in the 25 years? Is the world also populated by other doppelgangers and tulpas that we haven't yet figured out? I mean, as an example, there's uh, Bill Hastings' wife, Phyllis. Mm. Yeah, there, there are people in there who have who've assimilated the real world. Diane, notably. We, you know, and we never find out what happened really to the real Diane um, after the events which her tulpa describes. 
we can only imagine those things. But arguably, we've been following a tulpa there the whole series, and it's revealed at the end that Di- that the Diane we've been uh, watching as a tulpa. But how many others have there been? Um, even Leland, for example. You know, I was watching the return again recently, and it was only then, after the umpteenth time, that it struck me that you know, is the Leland that we see in the Red Room in season three, who who has his slightly befuddled look saying you know find laura yes it's a reference to potentially laura going missing in one of the timelines if that's if that's what's happened but is it also a reflection of a split that's taken place in leland because obviously in the final episode of season two we see the evil leland version the one with the white eyes who says i did not kill anybody and if that was the evil version is this the good version and both of them are still in the lodge in the same way that at some point uh, there were two Coopers in the lodge mm. and then the evil one escaped. You know, are both Leland's in some way still there? I mean, what happens to Ray when Ray goes there? Is Ray, you know, is there, is there an alternate future in which even a character like Ray Monroe faces his shadow self? Like there are so many potential things that you, that you could think about afterwards. And yet I think it's important to ponder whether some of the other characters who haven't been explicitly revealed as doppelgangers or tulpas are actually existing in the world of Twin Peaks that we've been watching. But maybe they just haven't had the influence that has affected the narrative or the journey of uh, of Dale or Mr. C in a tangible way. So we have just kind of glossed over it. But it'd be lovely to think that there are characters we have seen who have been on their own journeys in the background of... Uh, of the events at the forefront of the series. I just had a thought, slightly wacky, but what if the Sarah that we see isn't always Sarah? What Mm. if sometimes it's a tulpa of Sarah? Mm. Or indeed a doppelganger. I mean, there's the portal which exists arguably in Laura's bedroom, you know, and and you kind of, you, you know, and the fan is there. There, there's something obviously wrong with that house and there's something not good about living there. And I think we discussed this in our original series of, of, uh, of Cherry Pie and Coffee episodes. But the changes in her behaviour, on one hand, you see a broken, frightened woman. On the other hand, you see an angry, malevolent one. And yes, they could be both sides of the same person. But in the world of Twin Peaks, very often that does seem to represent a, um, either a split in a person into a into two halves. Not necessarily good or bad, but the idea of the shadow self, the you know, the way in which you can split the essence of a person into into two halves and they can coexist. You know, the link potentially between Sarah and Judy or or Jaude, I think, also speaks to that. You know, are you know, are we seeing not necessarily distinct timelines, but alternate versions of people who have all been affected by, you know, this concept of having to face your shadow self or indeed exist alongside it. Because you wonder whether this epic battle that we're seeing between Dale and Mr. C, that's one versus the other, but ultimately they're both halves of the same person. They are still ultimately rooted in the same original Cooper. So how many other characters are simply torn in half and revealed to be their shadow selves during uh, 
during season three. And if there are two Sarahs, when one of them is at the door telling Hawk that it's a goddamn bad story, mm-hmm. that noise in the kitchen is the other one. <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you for listening to our ramblings about the world of the woods and tulpas and doppelgangers and all possible tangents that uh, arose from the given title to part one of uh, season three of Twin Peaks. My log has a message for you. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you stay tuned over the coming episodes, which will be appearing on our Time for Cakes and Ale feed as we delve back into the world of Twin Peaks. It's really fun to be talking about it again. We hope you enjoy listening and let us know your thoughts on, on our ramblings, if you, uh, if you so wish. Um, you can get in touch via Twitter, Facebook and on our website. Just look for Time for Cakes and Ale, which is our mother feed. And if you enjoy the podcast, uh, do go to iTunes and leave us a review as well. Yep. Next time we'll be back with The Star's Turn and A Time Presents Itself, where we will be talking about relative perceptions of characters within the show and you'll see how it all ties into that title <laughs> <laughs> but for now from time for cherry pie and coffee be, be seeing, seeing you, you.